Hi, I'm Ashley, and I'd like to welcome you to That Novel Feeling, the podcast where we talk reading, books, and more. I'm here today with Rachel Harrison, author of The Return, which was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a First Novel, Such Sharp Teeth, Cackle, Black Sheep, and more. Rachel, welcome. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Before we begin chatting about Black Sheep, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. It's a, that's like always the hardest question for some reason. It's like I've never met me before. Um, I am a horror writer. I was raised in New Jersey, and now I live in Western New York. And I've written, this is my fourth novel, Black Sheep, coming out this September. And I've also written a collection of short stories called Bad Dolls. And yeah, just consider me your horror BFF. Let's chat. (laughs) Let's chat genre. So speaking of horror, when did your love of horror begin? And what are some of the books that have had the biggest impact on your writing? I have a rom-com relationship with horror in the way that like, when I was young, I was very resistant to it. It was like, the kid at school who would tease me and I would cry and pull my braids and things like that. Um, I reacted very strongly to horror and I'm very easily afraid. So I always thought I don't like this just because it made like if I saw a scary movie or saw a scary picture, it stuck with me for so long. And it really wasn't until college that I started to realize, oh, wait, it makes me feel so much, but that's good. That's cool. And kind of leaning into that intense emotion and discovering how much the genre has to offer and the intensity of storytelling is just unparalleled. It's my favorite place to work in. So um, yeah, I think college was when I really had my I love Josh moment and discovered that my love was there all along. And what are some of the books that you have found have impacted your writing the most in this genre? In horror, I would say Shirley Jackson is a big influence. Um, Stephen King, I think, inherently is an influence through his novels, through stories, films. And I think in terms of my writing style, comes a little bit from outside the genre. Amy Hempel writes short stories, and I find her sentences to just be so gorgeous. Really inspires me to, on a sentence level, work on my prose And I think every book I read influences me in some way or inspires me in some way. So I get something out of of everything. And the horror landscape right now is just an embarrassment of riches. So very inspired by everybody working in the genre right now. There are so many books coming out and my TBR is never ending. I need to get to some of them, but you're right. There's so many incredible horror novels coming out. And uh, Stephen King is an incredible storyteller. I actually just finished his novel, Joyland, which wasn't horror. It was more mystery. But the way he writes nostalgia and like coming of age and can just, he's so atmospheric. I, I do. I do love his writing. And prolific. I, I don't know how the guy does it. Right? Oh, my goodness. So moving on to Black Sheep. I adore this book. The inner dialogue of our main character, Vesper, is raw, funny, and so relatable. 
The exploration of family dynamics and finding a place to belong are timely and emotional. Where did your inspiration for this story come from? At some point in our lives, we all wonder, who am I? And a part of answering that question is reflecting on where we came from. And that's Vesper's dilemma in Black Sheep is wrestling with her origin story, as I think we all do, the old nature versus nurture. So that's kind of the question that really started me down the path of writing Black Sheep and wondering where do our families end and we begin. And Vesper, she's such a unique and flawed and resilient character. And I enjoyed watching interactions with people and kind of found myself relating to her probably a bit more than I should at times. <laughs> In one interaction with her coworker Carrie, Vesper reflects that she offended her with my honesty, but the truth was the truth and she needed to hear it from someone. Might as well have been me. I appreciate honesty and I would rather know something than not. I need all of the information in order to feel comfortable and make informed decisions. So do you think that there is ever a time when honesty can become too much or not a good thing? I am very sensitive. So that's a touchy question for me because I want to know the truth, but I also get my feelings hurt easily. There's one incident I was, my husband's family is from England and we were over there and it was my first time meeting his extended family, his cousins, his aunts, his uncle, his grandparents. And we were playing Trivial Pursuit. And I was like, oh, no wonder it's so hard. It's the genius edition. And then like five years later, he told me it's not genius edition, it's genus edition. And so in front of his whole family, <laughs> I made this gaffe that made me sound like a dumb American. And it was worse that he didn't tell me until later because I was like, all of this time, they've thought, I must think I'm just so, so stupid. I'm sure they don't. They're very lovely people. But in some cases, I think it's better to know in the moment as much as it may sting. But I'm somebody who struggles with being blunt and telling the truth because I'm worried about other people's feelings and I'm worried about my own so it was kind of liberating in a way to write Vesper, who does not give a hoot about offending anybody. So living vicariously through Vesper. I'm strange in that I am hesitant to be super honest if it comes to like if there's kind of criticism or if it's anything like that. But I want the honesty. Um, I think that I can just prepare myself better or I can handle the situation better if I know what's going on. But yeah, I'm always worried about other people's feelings. So I kind of censor what I say a lot. Um, so it's a tricky, it's a tricky balance. And I'm going to admit, I don't know what that edition is. What, what's the difference between that edition and the normal Trivial Pursuit? I don't know, but I, <laughs> it's just like one edition of the genius edition, but I just looked at it and was like, it's so hard because it's the genius edition. And it was just like one of the many trivial pursuits. I mean, it's it's just a funny gap. And it was just funny finding out years later that I just like declared this loudly in front of his whole family and they didn't say anything. Speaking of family, Vesper is estranged from her family, which is more common than people would realize. Maybe not for the same reasons as Vesper, 
But when the subject of family comes up, she doesn't always know what to say. She reflects that when you tell people you're estranged from your family, they always assume that it's your fault. They assume it's on you, that you don't get along with the fam, that it's a character flaw, that they see it as a red flag. There's so little empathy and understanding when it comes to family. There's so much truth in this statement. Why do you think that this still happens today when it is so prevalent in society? And why is the onus always put on the one who walks away, do you think? Families are complicated. And I think there's a lot of fear around perception and pressure to present a certain front. And so it's difficult to be honest about kind of the nuanced relationships in your home because, you know, it's that all all happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. It's hard to convey those dynamics to other people. And we fear judgment. Vesper very much fears judgment. She's still protective over her family, even though she's estranged from them. It's that thing where with our siblings, if somebody, I can tease my siblings, but if someone else says something about my siblings, then, you know, that's unacceptable. So it's difficult to talk, to be open about family. And there's still a lot of judgment in society because we build society off family units. And if we strip that away, what's left? And I think there's a lot of fear around that. And that's where the pressure comes from. I love the exploration of that throughout the novel. Family dynamics always interest me to read about. Her family is also very interesting and funny. So Vesper struggles with whether or not she wants to be home. She struggles with the fact that the farm still felt like home. She wonders whether everyone thinks of the place they grew up in as home. What to you means home? For a long time, I would call my parents' house home. Even when in through my 20s, when you know, I was in my late 20s, I'd been living in an apartment in Brooklyn for almost a decade. I would still say, oh, I'm going home, referring to New Jersey. And I, st- I think I will always think of New Jersey as home because it's where I grew up. And there's nostalgia there. There are memories there. And... So it's difficult to, the first idea we have of home, if we grow up in a house, if we spend a significant amount of our childhood in a certain place, I think that will always, in our mind and in our hearts, that will have some emotional heft. So to me, New Jersey is home, even though now I have a house and I'm a real life adult. I'm going to New Jersey this fall and I th- I think, oh, I'm going home, even though my parents don't live in that house anymore. And um, because in my earliest, earliest brain, that's where home is. I love that. So I always find reading about religion and cults fascinating. To this day, maybe especially today, religion has such a stronghold on society. What to you is the difference between religion and a cult? That is a tricky question. And I don't know. To me, I'm not sure there is much of a difference in my mind. I I think it's perception. And, you know, because some people consider Scientology a religion. Some people consider it a cult. So I don't know. And I personally am not, don't practice a religion. So to me, some of the, some 
of this looks the same from where I stand. It's obviously not the case. Everybody's experience is different. Everybody's beliefs are different. And I respect that. I think maybe it's officially a cult if they make a Hulu documentary about it. Maybe that's the best way to classify it. If there's a documentary, you're probably more than likely in a cult. <laughs> there are some crazy documentaries out there, especially that have come out recently. Have you seen the, um, totally off topic here, have you seen the one about the Duggar family? That one is, I was going to be like, nine. there's like a 90% chance that I've seen whatever documentary you were saying. That one I have not watched because I was like, this one might be too upsetting which they're all upsetting but I was like this is where I draw the line I don't know why but I have not seen that one there was another one called um keep sweet pray and obey that I I have seen my husband he started watching it with me and he's like I can't I can't he had he's like you finish it on your own he couldn't finish it like he just he's like I can't believe this breaking and infuriating it is and it's I don't know why it still shocks me but it does yeah everyone it's like the same it starts the same but again flds some people consider it a religion Mm -hmm. some people consider it a cult but because of the documentary leans leans more towards cult (laughs) i love that that's how i'm gonna that's how i'm gonna judge that's that's my barometer now for is it a cult or not gonna check netflix (laughs) how many documentaries (laughs) have been made about it right oh my god one could maybe still be a religion two called three forget it (laughs) Uh, so in that same vein there is a very interesting observation that is made in the book it is said that one thing i learned out in the world was that nobody's so different we all buy toilet paper contemplate the ply request help at self-checkout because something always goes wrong doesn't scan we all spend too much money at target and that we worship god's own choosing satan Christ, America, capitalism, clean living. I found this interesting because it is so true. And I find that it's not really an observation that a lot of people are willing to see. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that in today's day and age, so many people still refuse to see the similarities between all of us? Probably because of social media, I want to say. But, you know, you think back, in history and there's just such a people do i think it's interesting that people do tend to want to look at the differences and it might be fear it might be insecurity where we need to believe that position ourselves in a way that insulates from judgment or we need to believe we are good And so therefore we need somebody to say, well, they are bad. It might be that. I mean, that is a big question. In in the context of Black Sheep, I think Vesper has always felt isolated. And because her beliefs are different from her family, I think for her, she see can her perspective, she can see that nobody's different. But from her, but that's because she is different in the context of where she grew up. So I think maybe just so we can see ourselves as good. So Vesper spends a lot of time thinking about how her childhood affected the way she is now and whether it was possible for her to fight back or remove the traits that she had inherited and the trauma of her seemingly cruel mother, um, her absent father. 
whether she could escape the superstitions and beliefs that were ingrained in her as a child. I have two questions in regards to this. First, how much of our experience as children do you think affects who we are today? And second, do you think it is possible to ever erase those effects, especially for Vesper? For both of those questions, those are questions I was asking myself writing Black Sheep. And for Vesper, I don't think it's possible to erase, but to move past and to accept. It's difficult to accept our childhoods, especially in retrospect. Um, to see, to have perspective I, sometimes can be painful because we realize things. And there's a line in the book where Vesper says something along the lines of, you know, it's impossible to protect our own innocence. We can only scream at memories. When you become an adult, you can see things in your childhood that maybe were inappropriate or that were wrong or that affected you deeply. You cannot go back and change those things. You can work to accept that they happened and try to move past them. But there is no, unfortunately, there is no erasing for for Vesper or for any of us. On the subject of childhood and family, I really enjoyed the exploration of this throughout the novel, of wanting to belong, of still loving family members, even though it may be toxic or painful, of whether or not it is even possible to completely walk away. Also trying to find your place within a family, finding a sense of belonging. Why did you choose to explore this topic throughout the story? And what were some of the challenges of getting the emotion and struggle portrayed by Vesper in the book onto the page? The idea to explore family really came from the horror aspect of the book, which I won't get into to avoid spoilers. I sort of worked backward from that. But I also was thinking a lot about nature versus nurture and now I'm in my early 30s and in that stage of asking who am I and reflecting on my childhood now as an adult. So that was really why. And getting it on the page, it was mostly about getting Vesper's voice right. I write first person protagonists. So I need the right voice to tell the story and to balance it to the point where it can have depth, but for me, not be too heavy because family is a heavy topic. So finding Vesper's voice and finding the right character to get into these issues where it peels back the layers and we get into the nitty gritty, but it's not horrifically unpleasant to be inside Vesper's head. She may go through some horrific and unpleasant things, but there's something endearing and fun about inhabiting her thoughts. I agree. And I do love her. And I find that in um, in all of your books, but in Vesper, in this case, they have such a good sense of humor too. It could be like a sarcastic humor or a dry humor, or dark humor, but it's, it's always, it adds a bit of levity and it's always perfectly placed. I don't know how you do it. Oh, thank you. So this novel is so incredibly atmospheric. When Constance's house is being described, I could picture it so vividly in my mind. The lion's head faucet, the black and white photographs of cemeteries, and that lamp. If you've read the book, you know exactly the lamp that I'm talking about. There are some aspects that I definitely don't think I would want in my home, but also some, like the photographs and black drinking glasses, that I wouldn't mind. How much of Constance's decor choices would you love to have in your home? There were some. Her house is very scary. So, like, the lion's head faucet sounds cool. The 
scary painting I would do without. I don't need to wonder if my artwork is looking at me, if it's following me around. I don't need a life-size Freddy Krueger-esque statue in my foyer. I would like a skeleton in a bell jar, a giant skeleton in a bell jar. Um, however, that was vetoed by my husband. Um, definitely some, but everything might feel too too Halloween house. I would love to go shopping in Constance's house, but I think I can pass on the rat tea set, definitely passing on the lamp. So I'll be curious for readers, if you read the book and you have a favorite set piece or prop uh, or decor item, please DM me and let me know. I would love to know. It was really fun to create that the house. The skeleton in the bell jar would be so cool. I think that no matter how often I walked past a statue like that, I would still jump out of my skin. Yeah. And just to have that be the house that you grew up in, just like, I can't imagine. I think that's why Vesper is so like prickly and kind of unflappable because you have to be if you're a, a tiny child and you're walking past horror props all the time. That's true. And I'm such a wimp. I, I can read horror. I struggle to watch it. I find horror movies. I'm too much of a baby. to watch. I always, not always, but nine times out of 10, I'll have my hands over my eyes, blanket over my head. I'll have to plug my ears. I don't like a jump scare. That's, I can't handle that. Uh, or I'll read the, or I'll get, if I get too scared, I'll pause it and then read the Wikipedia page. So I know what happens. And that I'm, <laughs> I'm like, nobody look up spoilers to my book. But meanwhile, I'm like, all right, what happens in Insidious Part 4? Because I hate, I can't handle a jump scare. It stresses me out. Same. And someone once told me, because I really want to watch um, The Haunting of Hill House, like the TV show. Mm. I love the book, but I'm, I'm nervous. I still haven't watched it. And they're like, watch it on mute with the subtitles. Because sometimes it's the soundtrack that brings those like big scares so I don't know I might try it this year I might try I uh, that's a great series I can't think of that one there are a few really scary scenes but you can kind of you know when they're coming for the most part so you can fast forward but I do think subtitles it's worth it because it's balanced out it's not just like there to terrify you there's the real family drama as we're discussing so I think you should give it a shot. I love the book. I love, love, love the book. There is one scene in there and I still think it's one of the scariest passages I've ever read. Have, you've read that, that is book? Is it the hand-holding? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> there's like no hand, yeah. lights and she's like, I was holding her hand so tight and then no, you weren't. Whose hand were you holding? It literally, I still think about it and I read it years and years ago. It just that that scene and it, it on the surface like when we're talking about it it doesn't sound like it's scary right but oh my goodness that scene but it's the terrifying. dread that builds up and the, the atmosphere yeah jackson creates leading up to it that makes it that terrifying absolutely so this story is about a woman finding herself her voice her purpose her strength why is it important to you to write strong female characters and to explore their paths to self-discovery and acceptance it's just inherent to me I don't set out to write strong female protagonists 
I just write people, humans. I write women because I am a woman. um, And horror, I think historically, generally is pretty male dominated. So it's, I do feel it's important to get some women's stories into the horror genre. I'm proud to write women and I enjoy it, but I think women should have the opportunity to be just as messy and flawed and not have the argument about whether they're likable or unlikable. And my books aren't about, for the most part, aren't about being women. They're just, they're about other things. They're about existing in a body. They're about, you know, self-love. They're about friendship. And this one is about family and religion and nature versus nurture, but they are women's stories. So it's less about like setting out and being like, I'm going to write a feminist horror book and just whatever story I want to tell and whoever's the right lady to tell it. And that kind of leads right into my next question. So Paul Tremblay once said that in horror, there is always a truth. What truth without spoilers lies within this story? Ooh, love Paul. Um, that you can forge your own identity. You could choose to be whoever you want to be, regardless of where you came from or who you came from. That's the truth, I think. I love that. So are you able to share anything about what you are currently working on? Yes, I am awaiting edits for my next book. It's called So Thirsty. I believe we're aiming to have it out next fall. And the elevator pitch is it's Thelma and Louise, but with vampires. That sounds like it's going to be so much fun. I had fun working on it, so I hope it's fun to read. Rachel, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. You can find Black Sheep, as well as Rachel's other works, anywhere books are sold. You can keep up to date with Rachel by visiting her website at www.rachelharrison.com and by following her on Instagram at at rachelharrisonghost and on X, formerly Twitter, at at rachefacelogic. All links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please leave a review or visit me on Instagram at at readlikeash and let me know.